So my days have the same routine. First I force my body out of bed. I eat breakfast. I say bye to mum. Bye mum! Bye hun! I brush my teeth and get ready for the day. And I imagine I'm anywhere but here. That was a piece from the new TV show, Emmy, myself and I. And today we have with us a mother whose daughter has been diagnosed with Emmy. Hi Julie, I'm Tom. Today we have Henry, John, Andy, Olivia and Chloe who will be interviewing you today. Hello Julie. Hello, it's really good to be here, thank you. You're welcome. How did you feel uh, when you first received the news? Um, well, it was actually quite a long time after Jessica became uh, really, really poorly. It was about mm. six months before we actually got a diagnosis. Um, and she'd been really, really ill in that time. We'd been in Alder Hay for practically about four months of that. Um, how did I feel? I don't know. A bit numb, really. Uh, I didn't know what ME was. It felt, when the news was delivered, that it was, right, your daughter has ME, off you go. Um, and, you know, we'll recommend certain therapies. Um, but it took quite a long time, I think, for me to really read about it and research it. What were the main symptoms that you first started noticing when she, before she got diagnosed? It was really strange because it didn't connect up. I mean, she'd been, she'd had tummy problems from the age of about five, um, backwards and forwards for different things with regards to her stomach. But the real clinch was um, when she was 12. She'd been a bit poorly the week before with a virus, sore throat. But she woke up in the morning and she was absolutely screaming. Um, I'm going to excuse me if I get a bit emotional because when I think back to that time, uh, it's okay. she had excruciating pains in her legs and her arms. Um, I had to get help. I called my sister-in-law to come, and um, we literally had to carry her to the car to take her to the hospital. She was in so much pain that she actually screamed every time we went over a bump. Um, so it just seemed to go for it. I mean, the connection between the stomach problems and that when she woke up that morning, I suppose that came a lot further down the line. Um, uh, but the joint pains was something that she suffered with really, really badly for, gosh, about three to four years. But there have been you know, other symptoms, I suppose, around that. That was the most extreme symptoms. Um, but she had heart problems as well, so it affected her heart, which is called POTS, which is, again, a sideline of ME. Uh, so low blood pressure, if you stand up suddenly she'd faint. So, uh, excruciating headaches and a real aversion to light. So originally, we thought it could be meningitis. Um, so we took her to the nearest A&E. Uh, she was admitted immediately. Um, and she was in hospital for that week, quite heavily sedated. It's a bit of a blur to me that time because, of course, it's so stressful. You don't know what's going on. That's your child in the hospital bed. Um, she, as I say, she was there for a week. She was sedated. Doctors were doing loads and loads of different tests on her. They couldn't get to the bottom 
of what was wrong, why her heart was racing, why she was in so much pain. And then a week later, one night, her sats dropped. And before we knew it, we were blue lighting it over to Alder Hay. Um, again, still just not having any kind of idea what was wrong. Um, How long before they actually realised what was wrong? She was in Alder Hay for about a week. Um, they gave her um, very, very strong painkillers. Um, and it was quite strange actually because they gave her these really, really strong painkillers and the next day she was up and walking as though it was like, oh my God, it was a miracle. Um, they kept her in, did more tests for that week and then they discharged her and I brought her home and I think about a week later we had a follow-up appointment with a consultant and in that week she'd gone really downhill again. The one thing I do remember very much is her panda face, I used to call it, and always know how ill she was by the bags under her eyes. Uh, she'd go very white and she'd have these constant panda eyes. Um, we went back to the consultant, the consultant just took one look at her and said, right, go back home, pack a bag, we're admitting her straight away. And then that was the start of a quite a long journey really in Alder Hay with many different tests going on. I still had two children at home as well, so between myself and my ex-husband, I would stay at the hospital from Monday to Thursday, and my ex-husband would come and swap with me. I'd go home and be with the other children. Um, I think they knew, or they were going on that diagnosis of ME, but the reasons, because they believed it was a psychological illness, um, it wasn't said, it wasn't said what the diagnosis was. All it was was they were, they gave Jessica a physiotherapist and I remember quite distinctly going down with her in a wheelchair to the physiotherapy room and this physiotherapist saying, right, get on one of these exercise bikes and being really, really forceful and she'd go on that exercise bike and she was literally crying her eyes out. She was in so much pain. And it's very hard as a mum not to punch the physiotherapist. <laughs> and I couldn't understand why they were doing this. I had no idea why would they do it. And, oh, well, if we keep her moving, if we keep her exercising, you know, uh, then she's just, she's going to get better. She's going to get better. And I put my foot down in the end and I said, no, this, this really is not working, you know. Um, one of the other things I think we had, and I'm not saying this is all negative of everything that happened because the nurses were amazing, but she was in a private room on the children's ward. And the one night that I left her, I think I'd been there for about six nights and it was the crossover I was going home before her father was coming in. Uh, and she was bed bound by this time. She couldn't get out of bed without assistance. And I'd been gone about two hours and I had to go back for something. And one of the nurses had gone in and removed the alarm. So the alarm that she could reach if she needed help by her bed, they'd moved the alarm and they'd put it up out of her reach. Because then they said, right, okay, she'll, she'll get out of bed if she really wants to. And she'll hit that alarm. And of course she couldn't. 
So that was the last time I was actually able to leave her because I just didn't <clears throat> trust the nursing staff to care for her. You know, this is really detrimental to her mental health at the end of the day. Do you find any medication has helped your daughter in any way? Um, gosh, I mean, at the time when she came home, she was on so much medication, so much medication, really, really high painkillers. Um, it's, it's quite a difficult one because I lost faith in the NHS, um, certainly after the um, physical therapy that they were trying to force her to go through. And by this time, I mean, I'd be up four or five o'clock in the morning, you know, all night reading up on ME, what is this? Who's out there can help? Surely this can't be a psychological disorder. Um, my, you know, I knew my daughter. You know, my daughter was full of life and she loved to dance and she loved to be with her friends. There was absolutely no reason on this earth why she would suddenly take to her bed and psychosomatically or otherwise shut herself off from the world. Um, by this time, I think we'd got her down, got, got her back home, um, and we'd had to actually take her bed down into the lounge because she couldn't, um, she could no longer make it up the stairs. Um, I'd put a commode in my office at the time, and it was bed baths because we only had an upstairs bathroom. And you can imagine how undignified that is for a teenage girl. Um, the hospital had given us lots of medication. Um, I can't remember the names of them now, I suppose they'd come back, come back to me. And it was at this point, I think it was this point, I found a doctor um, who was based down in Powys. And I'd looked at her website and, you know, you, you just do anything you possibly can as a parent. You know, you research everything. I researched light therapies, all sorts of different things. Um, spoke to this doctor's, it was a private doctor, her secretary, and she said, right, can you get bloods down to me? Because obviously I couldn't take Jessica because she couldn't move. Um, and I was kind of like blocked all the way along the line. So I'd gone back to the hospital and I said, right, you know, I've, I've found this doctor and um, I need to have private bloods done, but of course Jessica can't move. So um, is there any way we could pay for a nurse to come to the house to take the bloods, to send them down there, etc., etc.? And it was completely blocked. No, you have to travel to Chester. That's the nearest hospital. So on a medication-wise, um, yes, she was on a lot of pharmaceutical drugs at that time. Um, when we went through the private doctor, we were actually able to wean her off the pharmaceutical painkillers, etc. after a period of about eight months of sticking to the regime that this private doctor had actually put into place for us. How do you think your daughter copes with it? So it's a quite a difficult question that it's not... I think it's taken to now, like, my daughter's now 19, and we've only just started talking about it from, if you like, from her perspective. I think I was so engrossed in caring for her and then the fear of relapses as she started to get better because it just doesn't go away. You know, you, you'll get a few months away, she's fine. Then I'd see the panda eyes, I know she'd be going down, the relapses. 
she's fought very hard. She's now in university um, after missing two years of school. And she's ver fought very hard to be normal, whatever that might be. Um, she frightens the life out of me at times. She insists now she, because she can. She does athletics. She's running her first half marathon um, next year. And I've had to learn personally to step back because she needs to have them experiences and she needs for herself to have that confidence. I suppose that she's not going to be ill again. And if she does relapse again, God forbid, we're all going to be there, but she has to live life at this moment in time. She has decided to take counselling, to go for counselling now, um, which I'm absolutely delighted about because she did suffer from depression um, and she self-harmed. And a lot of that was to do with how the illness is treated, how it's behind closed doors, how it's seen as the lazy person's disease. Um, and about a lot of about her treatment when she was in hospital and by the uh, professionals, if you like. Um, there's one incident that she did talk to me about and it's one that stays in my mind absolutely to this day. And I wish I'd made an official complaint. Um, I'd taken her to the doctors after she was discharged. She'd been re she was on a relapse again, but she used to get incredibly dizzy, incredibly dizzy. Um, and I'd taken her to our local doctor, um, and basically he called her in, and he went, "Oh, for goodness' sake, this is not still going on, isn't it? You need to pull yourself together." I got her up, took her out of that doctor's room. Um, you know, I'm not a violent person, but this 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 little illness and these people are suddenly, you know, they do drive you to. And she collapsed outside the doctor's room. The dizziness over because she fainted. He came out. He stepped over her, and he went, "Mrs. So and So, please." Step back over her and walk back into the doctor's room. So you can imagine how that affects a young person. And yeah. So to be honest, how she feels about it now is, I think that's something that we will talk about when she comes home. It would be interesting, I suppose, to see her perspective of it. I was just too busy, I suppose, fighting her corner. Maybe you know, this far, far down the line is the time when she's ready to start talking about it. When she was in school, uh, did the school uh, help in any way, in whatever way they could? <laughs> well, that is another story altogether. Once it started going down the route of the that Jessica had ME. Um, the the funniest thing was that time my youngest daughter then started with stomach problems and I was like, oh my God, please God, no, no. And I ended up having to take her into hospital one night because she was screaming in agony with her tummy. And for me, this is just like, oh my goodness, this is both children. Um, when I got to the hospital, and it does tie in with the school question, a long-winded way about it, I was pulled off the ward and taken into a side room where the consultant who'd originally treated Jessica had called in social services um, and they accused me of being Munchausers by proxy, which means um, that you're deliberately hurting your children for attention yourself. Um, this has even a, a bigger impact on me because I run childcare settings and I've been in childcare for the last 25, 30 years. So 
they wouldn't treat Carmen, my youngest daughter. They kept her in for testing to see if I'd given her any substances. Um, they eventually let us go, but you can imagine my fear now. Um, and especially as I'd read an awful lot about some children being taken off their parents because they'd been accused of Munchausen's by proxy who had ME and they were put into foster care. Then they'd be put into psychiatric homes. Um, because of the diagnosis, the school, it was horrendous. We couldn't get, of course, for a very long time for the first year, the um, Jessica couldn't study. She was far too ill. She was in a darkened room most of the time. Um, the school picked up on the Munchausen's by proxy diagnosis. They got the education authorities onto me. Um, thank God, I think my one saving grace was I heard about the Times Trust. And the Times Trust is a legal body that helps parents with children with ME who were going through what I was going through. I actually did think I was on my own in this. There was all sorts, you know, the dread of losing your child, the dread of being arrested, that you were going to be put in prison, that you were going to get accused of child abuse, you know, psychiatric illnesses, all the rest of this stuff. Um, <coughs> I sat at the top of the stairs at one point and I managed to get hold of the Times Trust. I think I was talking to one of the support ladies, bless her, it must have been about 11 o'clock at night. And I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown. I just didn't know what to do. I'd had legal letters through from the school, um, legal letters from the social services, and I just broke my heart. I was on the phone with this lovely, lovely lady, thank God, and she goes, it's all going to be okay. Don't worry about a thing. Send us everything that you get, and we will fight it for you. Um, so... They came on board and they were an absolute lifesaver because I don't believe to this day, I don't believe that Jessica would have been at home. I think they would have tried to take her out of my care. So on the side of the school, it kind of, it, and this sounds really, really negative and it's not that everybody was negative. It just seems to be about this particular illness. Not only does it isolate the young person, um, nobody believes in it. So therefore, there has to be a reason, and then it becomes blame. It becomes blame onto the parents. So you can imagine how isolating that is for a parent. Um, you know, you want to care for your daughter, you're trying to care for your daughter, you're trying to find the answers, but anybody who's supposed to be there to help you isn't there to help you. They're there to accuse you. They're there to beat you up, you know, metaphorically. Um, and it's just as well I'm the kind of person that I am because that did take me to breaking points uh, and I'm, I am one that researches and argues and I will get to, you know, I can't tell you how many hours and hours and hours I spent researching this illness. Um, when the Times Trust won my case and Jessica was starting to get she was having longer periods between relapses so then she was able to go back to school one day a week um but it was always down to jessica i was never going to force it i needed to know that she was well that was more important than anything else in the world but i still had the school on my back oh she's back in school now she can come in 
this amount of time, she can come in for four days a week, she can come in for five days a week. Well, no, actually, she can't, because then that would be overdoing it for her. And she'd go into a relapse, and then she wouldn't be able to go to school again for three months. I fought for homeschooling, um, which is a right of a child with a disability. And we ended up getting one tutor, and because my children are Welsh-speaking, um, I needed more than anything for Jessica was her maths and her English. Um, so they sent a Welsh lady who spoke Welsh, but actually she was a French teacher and she had no knowledge whatsoever of maths or English. And bearing in mind, Jessica still had ambitions. You know, she's always wanted to go into the medical profession. Outside of professionals, so doctors and teachers, things like that, sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to get rambly now, <laughs> but the idea of one of the things that we're trying to do with the TV show yeah. is awareness, but the lack of awareness in in in, com in the community, how did that affect uh, Jessica and yourself? It was really, really isolating because there was no support. I didn't know where to turn to. I didn't know anybody with ME. I'd never heard of the illness prior. I'd kind of heard of it as yuppie flu. Um, you know, I had no understanding of what this illness was. So at that point in time, I had no support. It was only when I was researching online, um, and Facebook in particular, um, I came across a Facebook site which is um, has been an absolute godsend to me, and that's parents and carers of children with uh, young people with ME. Um, and when you're so isolated and you've got basically no one to turn to knows about this to be able to go onto a forum and to talk to other mums other parents that were going through very very similar things with their children not just maybe one child it could be a mum with ME and in a particular case I'm thinking of two daughters with ME um, to be able to ask the questions well what is POTS how are you getting on with the NH system? What is the therapy, you know, what has been, um, you know, prescribed for your child, you know, to get that information. And that's where I was getting the, the get therapy, which is the physiotherapy, get them up, get them doing things, which predominantly then sends that child into a massive decline. Um, so it was the parents and carers on the Facebook page, and I am still, very very close to a lot of the parents I still in the forums talk in the forums though my daughter now has improved massively um, it's just something that without them again and that is what is so isolating because if you think about this you've got an illness that is diagnosed at this moment as a psychological illness you've got your professionals and I can only speak from my point of view so you've got your professionals who then isolate you so your doctors who you would go to, your uh, hospitals, the school, the people who would help you are not helping you. This is how and why I think ME has not been spoken about. It gets hidden within our communities. And because the young people themselves can't get out, they're isolated from their friends. You know, can you imagine? 13, 14, 15 years old, these are the times when you should be going out, you're with your mates, you're growing up, you're becoming independent. You're not, you're stuck in a room with darkened windows because you're in too much pain to get out. 
And raising awareness like this is so important because the young people can't speak it for themselves. Adults with severe ME can't speak it for themselves. Carers are basically gagged because where do you go? And that is what it feels like. It actually feels like, for me, it felt like a prison. Not because my daughter was ill, because there was no support there. Apart from, thank goodness, you know, my ex-husband is fantastic with the children. He believed in me. He knew that I was a good mum, but it made me question everything. And at one point, I just sit there and I thought, this, this has got to be me. Am I imagining this? Am I actually in a parallel universe and I'm doing this to my child? It really did get to that point. Um, so yeah, raising the awareness, doing films, talking about this, because none of those people who are supposed to be sticking up for you are doing it. It's sad. Well, it's kind of like with support groups. Is there any that she actually went up to and like, met other people with Emmy? No, Jessica wouldn't. One, she was too poorly, and this is what you'll find throughout the community. When young people become very, very ill, they become isolated because they feel very, very different. And the feeling that nobody understands them and that her friends wouldn't understand how she was and how she was feeling. Um, Jessica's support group was me and her brother and her sister. Um, that was it, again, very, very isolating. When she was starting to get better, when the periods of illness were receding, I did say to her then, would you like to go to, um, you know, with the support groups? There wasn't anything. There was an ME community service. Um, and they used to send this woman out <laughs> um, who would monitor Jessica. And this was part of the social services thing as well. Um, but she was, again, very much the advocate of the, the get therapy, where, you know, right, you know, you must get up, you must sit up for a certain amount of time every day. Um, they, she was prescribed melatonin because one of the things with ME as well is that you don't sleep at night. Um, it messes up with your whole body clock system. Um, so, it, you know, she was on melatonin, this lady basically used to come and sit, sit sit with her and say, right, let's go out and let's get for a walk today. Let's walk to the front gate today. And Jessica was like, I can't even stand, never mind walk to the front gate. Um, so for her as a child, I can't even imagine. I know how it was for me as an adult, but she was the one going through it. She was the one in agonizing pain. She was the one that lost all of her friends. She was the one that couldn't go to school. And she was the one that nobody believed she was ill. I can't even start to think what she was going through. Maybe that's why I've never asked the question. Uh, as a parent, uh, did you have to adapt your work life to care for your daughter? And if so, uh, what did you do? Yeah. Um, the one advantage I would say is that I've run my own business for the last 20 odd years. Um, when Jessica became ill, I became her 24 hour carer. Um, I reduced my business down. I was very, very, very lucky to have great team members that carried on. Um, as a business level, when we were in the hospital, 
I would take my laptop with me and sit there and, and work on my laptop and send emails, the physical side of the business. My staff were going out and they were keeping things running for me. If I'd been employed, I couldn't have continued to work. There would have been no way that I could have worked. Um, so I, I adapted, if you like, my work life was on the laptop um, and I paid other people to go out and do the job on the floor. It's very, very, that was a very lucky for me. Um, any other parent that's actually employed, I don't know how they would do, how, how they would continue. Um, like you said a bit earlier, you said that your daughter had missed two years of school. Yeah. Um, how does she feel about that, like missing a school and friends? Um, again, I suppose it's very difficult. I can't speak for her. When she was very, very ill, she was too ill to care. She was in too much pain. Um, then she became very depressed. Um, I say it's very, very isolating. I can only suppose um, I found her on the bathroom floor and she cut her wrists. And that explains the depth, I suppose, of how she felt about being completely isolated and not being with her peers. And even when she started to go back to school, there was a lot of bullying. Um, I think it was actually the, the bullying on top of everything else that drove her to self-harm. Um, and then on top of it, bless her, she became really, really depressed, which is again a side effect of being in pain constantly. Sorry, some things are... The memories are still very raw, I think, when you don't talk about it very often. Yeah. Can I just, I guess, a, a, to look at a positive, yeah. how do you feel about your daughter now? She's 19 19. Now? She is and has always been absolutely phenomenal. Um, I feel, you know, I love her so much. We are very, very, very close, I suppose, because we spent that such, I suppose, in a way, that time together where teenagers are usually going out and becoming independent themselves. It was us two. Um, she's gone back, she went back to school. Um, I've always been a fighter and I always say there's different pathways to life. You don't have to take this one route. And if you want to go into medicine, because, you know, she was getting told things like, well, oh, don't be silly, you'll never get into medicine because you're not going to get your A-levels because you've missed so much of school. And I was like, don't you tell my daughter that. My daughter can do anything that she possibly wants to do and anything she can dream of. Um, and she did. She went to college. When we went into the college, I explained um, Jessica's illness to them. I think it actually it was the first time it was the head of A-levels and it was the first time I'd met anybody and she said, my daughter has Emmy. That was four years down the line. So she understood. Um, and in college they gave Jessica the support to do the A-levels. 
Um, she started doing her own research. They did say then that she couldn't become a doctor, which is what her original plan was. Um, but now she's studying. Um, she's a, a clinical studying clinical nursing and anaesthesia down in Cardiff University. Uh, the separation's been very difficult for her. The first year, I think, you know, actually moving out and setting up for herself. But my God, she's amazing, you know. And I think any young person that goes through what she went through and still comes out the other end, which all young people do if you believe in them. You know, I really do believe that with all my heart. Um, yeah, she's incredible. As I say, she's running half marathons. I have to say about this doctor down in Powys that I found, I believe to this day if it wasn't for her, then Jessica wouldn't have recovered. It would have taken so much longer for her to recover. Um, because she gave the full report on Jessica's bloods, why it was happening, what was happening, um, that gave me the belief that this was a biological illness as well. And then she put us on a complete regime, which is completely opposite to what the NHS was saying as therapy. And I stuck to it like, you know, just, you know, it was every step of the way. And I could start to see gradual improvements, gradual improvements. I, it was just incredible. Thank you, Julie, for coming to talk to us. The information you've given would really help with uh, making the film. Excellent. I think if anything helps to wear, raise awareness, you should be really, really proud of yourselves. Really proud of yourselves. So thank you. Thank you very much for letting me come in and talk about my experience. If you've been affected by any issues raised within this podcast, please be sure to check out the links in the description below for help and support. Thank you.